Welcome back, Compass Bible Church, to another episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. This that was Pastor Hayden, <laughs> and this is Pastor Evan. And and here at Compass here. Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. You actually explained that in the sermon verbatim. You I said we, we reach people for Christ, yep. we teach people to be like Christ, and we train people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including the sermons. In this podcast, Art of Fulfill the Mission of Reaching, Teaching, and Training. Well, Pastor Hayden, we just finished a long day. We just finished exploring Compass just now. We did. And we, you also preached a sermon this morning, so you've been talking for like 12 hours straight. <laughs> I don't think I've ever talked this much this, you know, at this frequency. I'm going to stop you because you're about to slur words together that don't belong together. (laughs) It's like, what? Well, you just preached a sermon uh, in the teamwork series that the the God of comfort and the people who comfort out of Mm. Colossians 4, verses 10 and 11. And let me read that to you guys right now. It says in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Well, Pastor Hayden, apart from uh, Justice getting a name change, uh, (laughs) what are some of the things that we missed in in your sermon? Yeah, I mean, I I thought thought that uh, as we jumped into the the text, I thought that a lot of it was super self-explanatory. Uh, I mean, there's just so much in the history that you can look at. Just, just to think, I want you to put yourself in the sandals of those people and just how much it took for them to be faithful. And, and not that there really was this uh, idea that they had to say, well, is, is the gospel worth me being faithful to? And of course, there is that idea that you need to count the cost, right? That you need to make sure that, that you're doing what... what uh, that you're counting the cost, that you're making sure that you have enough to build, that you're making sure that you have enough soldiers, so to speak, if you're thinking about the uh, the parable there that Jesus is speaking. Uh, but uh, just to look at uh, Aristarchus and Mark and, and even the Apostle Paul and Justice and to see what they did, the links that they went to uh, to expand the gospel. And I loved, and I think I said it in the 11 and not the 9, of just this idea that these men that Paul are talking about, including him, were all men of the circumcision. Right? They were all Jews, that they were Jewish men. Uh, and what's interesting about that is these Jewish men were reaching Gentiles. I mean, the fact that they forsake, they forsake their heritage, forsake their 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 their, their, their racial. Uh, commitment, their uh, societal commitment, nationality, their national commitment. I mean, all of that was put aside for the sake of the gospel. And I didn't spend a lot of time on that at all. I don't even think I've really mentioned it that way. But I mean, you want to talk about something that you can you can look at this and say, wow, that is a small observation with large implications. And then Paul said, you know, these things matter nothing to me. They're all rubbish. I count it all as rubbish. And just the fact that these men said, None of that stuff matters. All the other identities that I can identify with don't matter. What matters is the gospel. What matters is that people's lives are at stake, and we need to focus on the one thing that matters, and that is the gospel of Christ, the grace of God uh, breaking into earth and coming in Christ and allowing us an opportunity uh, to be in right relationship with a holy God. And, I mean, we can all, you can always get to that point in any text, and you should. But I think the way that this text does it, that we didn't necessarily 
uh, touch on much is which is super compelling to see that these men who had all the opportunity to say, well, we're the people of God, we're the circumcision, we're the people of God who chosen from the Old Testament, which of course isn't a valid response, but neither are our responses often when we think that we're better than we are. But these men set that all aside, knowing the truth of the gospel. It was just, to me, in my devotional time, even with this, I was like, wow, that, that to me was huge. Something you mentioned in uh, the sermon this morning that would be a thing would be helpful for you kind of even to revisit and even touch upon and maybe are in greater detail or in detail that are part of the um, you know side details I guess is the fact that you said in order for us to really uh, fulfill God's mission we need to be sure that we're you know fulfilling the great commission and fulfilling the great commandment mm-hmm. so to love God and to love others and to make disciples and right. so. How do you want to, is there any more information in your study this this past week that would be helpful for us to have in our minds as we're approaching life groups this coming week? I think that if you would have said that phrase in the first century, they would have looked at you and said, duh. Uh, I think when we are in our culture of this compartmentalizing our society, and uh, we live in a society that everything is divided off, and you know, my education is my education, my my home is my home. My church is my church, and the, everything kind of stays in its in its spot. That, that they didn't live that way then. I mean, your your home your home was in the middle of of your workplace. I mean, and your your family was was involved in everything. I mean, everything was kind of clumped together. And so the idea that the great commandment and the great commission uh, are two separate things would have been foreign to them, and it, it should be foreign to us because they aren't two separate things. And I tried to develop that within my sermon to say this is really one thing here it's just it's the it's all the same homework you may just forgot half of it like me you know when i was doing my math homework i it was all one assignment i just only did half of it it doesn't mean that there was actually two parts it just means that i didn't do the whole thing and so i think that i think is helpful uh for us to say it isn't two things it's one thing but for you to look at it as uh the Great Commandment and the Great Commission can help you see that they're both very biblical reasons why we should make disciples while also comforting and being there for one another. And that kind of leads right into point number one, engaging in the ministry of presence and mm-hmm. how Aristarchus was was there with Paul as you elaborated. You read the book of Acts and he's there at most of the journey mm-hmm. uh, after the second missionary journey that Paul went on. That's where they met. But you know, you have been a you know, pastor for a decade now and I'm coming up on my, uh, actually, I finished my first year as a pastor, but right. the ministry of, of presence you know, mm-hmm. as a pastor, that's part of the, the, the call for us to be, is to be present with people. How have you seen the last 10 years, how important it is just to be present and properly yeah. present? I mean, I, we always talk about this, just how important the ministry of presence is. I mean, we have a responsibility to teach the word of God, but so much of our weekly uh, responsibilities include the idea of being present with people. And of course, the teaching aspects of our ministry, the shepherding aspects of our ministry of, are of utmost importance. Uh, but most of that doesn't happen without the ministry of presence. Uh, when I think of people who, uh, family members who've died or in the hospital, uh, and I, I'm not going to go out there and preach them a, a message with my Bible open. I'm going to, I'm going to preach them the message of my presence. And, uh, and that is going to say a whole lot about what I believe. And I'm not saying you diminish the word of God. What I'm saying is you do all of that. Uh, but I think if, if a pastor or a person diminishes this idea that being present with people isn't 
important. You you diminish the the implications of the gospel, and I think uh, when I think that's what these this text did. You see people going all out for the gospel, but Paul's point there was like these men have been a comfort to me. It's like you 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 forget that that our goal and our job is to be comfort to one another, as we are doing the Great Commission. And I thought that was um, yeah in my life. There's nothing been more important and transformative in my life as I've been, uh, you know, maturing as a pastor than saying, man, you've got to be with people. So that's, that's us. We're, that's what we do as a pastor. Now to Mm -hmm. remove the, uh, maybe the objection or the roadblock for the, the rest of us in the church, what can we do as non pastors to make sure like, how can our congregation this week do the ministry of presence and maybe a couple practical ways that you've seen it done by pastors and um, pastors, just Christians. Yeah, well, I think one of the, I mean, literally, and this is going to be so simple, but like go to life group. Like I can't tell you, like, if you go to life group, you need to be a part of your community. Nothing says, nothing says that I care about my community less than saying I don't want to go to life group. I get it if you're sick. I get it if you're on vacation. I, those things are obvious, right? I mean, yes, don't don't go if you're sick. Don't when you're on vacation. We get it. But like when we get when we say things like, hey, "I'm just too tired tonight," I mean, can you imagine looking at your wife and she said, "Hey, can we can we? Sp- I know we scheduled this time together this week. Can we hang out?" And you say, mm, "Not tonight." I mean, it's it's right. I mean, that right there, you can say, "Well, that's wrong." Well, you want to engage in the ministry of presence. Start by going to the things that are regularly scheduled. Start by saying, I'm at least going to do the things that are scheduled in my life. Are there more things you can do? Yes. Are there less? There shouldn't be. Right? There shouldn't be less. Your life in the ministry of presence should not be less than what is scheduled regularly in your local church. There's lots of things you can do, being there for people when they're sick, being there for people when they're struggling, or honestly, just grabbing coffee with people you haven't connected with in a while and encouraging them as Christians. I mean, there's some just there's some simple things not going to change your whole world, but that right there, if everyone in the church did some of those things, I mean, you would see a marked difference in, in our people and in our church. Well, speaking of differences within our church and just trying like a culture, point number two, getting past our prior grudges. Now, I, I did laugh. I had to fight back laughter <laughs> out loud when you mentioned the book that said, you know, to uh, nurture your grudges. Mm. Now, we know as Christians, we we let go. We crush right. those um, those grudges, and actually, funny enough, I actually knew what a cane toad was. All right, because of Australia. Yeah, but they're in Australia the, because they were brought to Australia to get rid of uh, some insects that was brought to Australia. But the problem was, there's no animal in Australia that can kill them, and so they to go out of their way to run them over, to get rid of them, to yep. do whatever is possible to eliminate these cane toads because... So that illustration spoke to you, didn't Oh, it, it? spoke to me. Good. <laughs> it spoke to me real good. I like to hear Maybe it. Maybe for the cane toads. Maybe I'm not holding on to grudges. Toads. All right. But kind of leading into that, why is, it, you know, why is it so important? You elaborated heavily on this in the sermon, but kind of if you want to add more detail maybe from your notes that you were able to get to about like the, just the dangers of, of holding on to grudges and the damage and the division that it costs and in turn the freedom that it offers when we actually let go of these grudges. Yeah, I, I kind of elaborated a bit, but this idea that we have all of the revelation of, of God in the New Testament, like, you know, if we would have stopped in the middle of Acts, you know, the, the idea that the implication that, wow, I guess Christians don't have to reconcile. I mean, but when people look at your life or our lives or whoever is as Christians, like you and me, if you and I got in a disagreement 
and uh, we never reconciled. I mean, people would come to the idea, uh, the wrong idea, that, well, I guess I guess you can do that. I guess we can live unreconciled. We can live with grudges because, look, my pastors did it. And that's like, that's the wrong message. And, and it's proof here, literally proof's in the pudding. I mean, I see it. Like, they didn't. That Paul and Mark knew we can't live like this. I mean, we might be in this in, in, in a short situation, but man, we got to fix it. And they did. And so, I mean, for us to think that we can live with grudges or you can live with malice in your heart and be a great representative of Christ and to be a great ambassador for him in that message, it's just, it's incompatible. It won't work. And, and I speak from that, not just to, maybe if you're listening to this, to say, I'm not looking at you, pointing my finger and wagging my finger at you. I'm like, hey, do you notice it doesn't work? I'm just saying, hey, it doesn't work and you know it. So let's, let's, let's work on moving past it because there's so much more for you than having to live with that grudge and live with that issue when we can move on from it and live a life way more pleasing to God and pleasing to yourself, to, to be frank. Well, in order for us to do that, we need to, point number three, keep keep the mission in mind. Mm-hmm. And something you mentioned to the uh, Exploring Compass crew is, you know, the outreach team and the evangelism team isn't a small group of people that's going around. It's everyone in the church. Mm-hmm. And so it's for all of us, we need to keep the mission of the Great Commission and the mission of obeying uh, the, the Great Commandment. But what are some things maybe in your notes that you didn't get to in point number three about keeping the focus in mind that you want to elaborate to us as a church. Weren't we in Exploring Compass when I used the uh, illustration of the grocery store? Yeah. All right. I mean, it's that, I mean, keeping the mission in mind is so important because if you go to the grocery store and you walk in, how many times do you walk out and you don't, you walk out with so many things you didn't need and barely anything that you needed? I mean, we all laugh about that because we do it. And it's, it happens if we're not keeping the mission of the gospel in mind and the mission of, of making sure that we're not getting entangled in civilian pursuits. Uh, metaphorically speaking, like I, I, even with the best intentions, I can walk in and start my life thinking, I want to go be a great ambassador and I want to be the kind of man that people look up to for this because I love Jesus and I love making disciples. And But you keep living your life and you get entangled in all these other things that look enticing and all these snack foods that you don't need. Metaphorically, these are things in your life that aren't helpful. And, and then by the time that you're done, right, with all of these pursuits and get entangled in all of these things, you're walking out and you're like, I have a whole bunch of not the gospel in my hands and I have a whole bunch of things I don't need. And then you're like, man, I didn't keep my mind on the mission. I'm not being helpful at all. Now you have to figure out, well, what do I do with all this stuff? Because now you're committed to it. You're dealing with it. You bought it. Now what do I do? I mean, and then the question, what do you do? You do a lot of things, but I'm just saying, don't be that. Don't get in there. You have all this stuff in your arms that have nothing to do with the gospel. Keep the mission in mind. When you start your day, start with the mission in mind. So when you walk in, you know what you're getting. And you walk out and you have what you, what you committed to. And that is our goal as Christians, to keep our mind on the mission. Don't get, don't get in focused on these other things that, don't, that aren't... That aren't meaningful and aren't purposeful and aren't the main thing. Well, Pastor Hayden, thank you for so much for that sermon. Hey, yo. Well, we have some application questions that you wrote down uh, for us to go through this week. Now, what is the direction that you want us to go as we, I know you mentioned in the sermon to kind of pull in the JFK quote, to make sure (laughs) 
that we're not looking how other people can serve us, but how we can always serve others. Mm -hmm. What is the direction you want us to take in these application questions this week as we then share those answers with our life groups Mm -hmm. because we're not forsaking the fellowship that you mentioned before? So what is the direction for us? Yeah, I use some scriptures, I hope, that will really point you to to the point and to drive home everything that we've talked about thus far. Uh, and so I'm hoping that as you really study those passages, maybe open up a good study Bible as you are reading uh, these questions and studying those verses and answering them. And I think if you do those things, you're going to end up in a really great place when it comes to uh, understanding our responsibility when it comes to the great commandment, when it comes to comforting one another, when it comes to being there for each other. You're going to see that uh, you're going to see that playing out so often. I just, I, I just love it. I mean, this, this sermon, it was just, I was very passionate about it because I'm like, man, this right here, I mean, we should be passionate about every sermon we preach, but there are some that you say, wow, this can change the trajectory of our church if we would just apply it. And I think these questions will help us do that. And nothing in particular, but I think just an overview, take your time on these questions, spend some time in them and go to your group and give helpful application in your own life, how you're going to apply these things. And I am sure that it would really be moving and helpful for everyone in your group. And if you need a study Bible, you can always buy one. Yeah, Compass Bookstore. Bookstore. That's in the announcement. I love it. All right, Pastor Evan, we now have a daily Bible reading spotlight, and we are going to be looking at Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, Compass, again, well done. You finished the book of Second Chronicles, as you saw the... Uh, the fall of Judah as they were taken into captivity. And the book ends with hope with King Cyrus of Persia declaring that the exiles can now go home, thus fulfilling God's promise. And what's really awesome is that right after, even though the book of Second Chronicles is technically in the Jewish Old Testament, their, their Bible is the last book of their Bible. Ezra and Nehemiah kind of follows along chronologically in the timeline to explain, well, what happened when Israel left exile and went back to the land that was promised to them? Well, this is where you get the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, in our English Bible, they're two separate books, but if you ask a Jewish friend or has a Hebrew Old Testament, the Ezra and Nehemiah was one scroll. It was one book because the probability is that Ezra wrote Ezra and Nehemiah and First and Second Chronicles. So Ezra is the probable Boom. author, probable author of four different books <laughs> of the Bible. But as you know, I love studying the names. What do the names mean? Well, for Ezra, you can write this down in your Bibles. Ezra in Hebrew means God protects or God aids. Or also God helps there, Pastor Hayden. There it is. Well, wait for this one. Nehemiah, that means God comforts. Ooh, wow, look at this. And so today's, you know, this week's DBR is just going to be how God protected and aided and helped and comforted his people as they were going back to, out of captivity, back into the promised land to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. Look how God and his sovereignty turned that out. Well, the main purpose is, of each book, I want to give you those so that when you read them, you have at least a roadmap of what to look for as you, know, you see some more chron- uh, genealogies, you see some lists, you see some you know, opposition, you see some prayers. So here's the main uh, purposes of each book. In the, from Ezra, this is, comes from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It says the, the original readers of Ezra were exiles who returned under Zerubbabel, who we'll get to in a second, and Ezra but who are then wavering in their relationship with God. 
Ezra wrote to encourage the remnant, the remnant to be involved in the true temple worship and to remind them to fulfill their covenantal obligations because of God's mercy. You, when you read this book, it's exciting. Israel's coming back, but they kind of get tricked up again. They start getting caught up in some more sin. And Ezra's guys like, come on, guys, we need to confess and we need to repent. Remember God's mercy. This is the only reason we are here is because of God's mercy. And so the nation repents from their actions. And then you have the book of Nehemiah and its purpose comes from the Moody Bible commentary. And I say, quote, Nehemiah wrote his book to the faithful remnant of the post-exilic Israel to show them God's gracious restoration to the Jewish people from captivity. By revealing God's blessing and recapitulating the conquest as in the days of Joshua, he also, look, uh, he also looked forward to the ultimate blessing of the restoration at the end of days. And so Nehemiah is an encouraging book to this people coming back saying, hey, we're, we're reconquesting, you know, we're reconquering the land just like Joshua did, but we're looking forward to something that's to come. And so when you're reading this book, the background, the helpful background to have in mind is to remember God promised Israel and Judah that if they disobeyed, they would go into exile. But he also promised that he would bring them back. And this is where we'll read in the prophets and in, in Jeremiah 29 verses 10 to 14, the guy says, hey, I'm going to bring you back after 70 years of captivity. And so God is a faithful God of promise. And, and another background is to remember the original conquest of Canaan that we read in the book of Joshua, you know, weeks, months back. And Ezra is almost like this second Moses figure, the spiritual leader of Israel. And Nehemiah is like the second Joshua, this person who's able to help organize and actually take the land um, there in, um, in Canaan, in, in the promised land. And I can explain that right now in the main characters that you're going to run into. And this one, there's a lot. So buckle your seatbelts. We're, we're rolling right now. The one main character, that, uh, one of the main characters that you're going to run into is Zerubbabel. He is an ancestor of Jesus. He's actually in the genealogy and a descendant of David. He is the royal line. He should have been king, but is only a governor. And he was the one that led the first group of the Jewish people back from Ezra, uh, ez exile that we see in the, the beginning of Ezra. Also, you're going to run into Joshua, the high priest who came with Zerubbabel, which Joshua, if you remember, means God saves. So when Jesus comes on the scene, his name is Joshua. He's all, not only the greater than the Joshua, the high priest that we, we run into in Ezra, he's greater than the, uh, the Joshua who conquered the land. So put that in your back pocket when you jump into the New Testament. Next is Ezra himself. He was a priest, and this is actually coming from the Haley's Bible Handbook. This is a very helpful resource, by the way, Haley's Bible Handbook. Ezra is a priest who is the great-grandson of Hilkiah, the priest that we read about in 2 Kings chapter 22, that 160 years earlier had directed King Josiah's reformation. So what greater person than this priest who, who's, who's, uh, who's the descendant of someone who's there during the reformation under King Josiah to say, hey, we're coming back to not only reform the temple, we're coming back to rebuild the temple. So the book of Ezra, who he returns in 457 BC, the book of Ezra's focus is rebuilding the temple to proper worship once again. Then when we read the book of Nehemiah, who's Nehemiah? Well, he's a civil officer. He's a governor, an official sent by King Cyrus. He's a, he's a Jewish man, but he's sent. He's the cupbearer to King Cyrus, and he, he was sent by King Cyrus 14 years after Ezra went to rebuild the temple, 
Nehemiah goes back to rebuild the walls, which have been, you know, at the time, were desolate for over 100 years. And the character that's always kind of in the background is King Cyrus himself. He was the emperor of the Persian Empire, and he was actually promised in Isaiah 45. And this is why the prophets are so important as we're about to read them, that they forte- God reveals what he's about to do, and he reveals that he's going to bring someone named Cyrus. He revealed this hundreds of years before it happened, um, to send out, uh, to take the uh, Israelites out of captivity and to have them return to their promised land. And so that's the background information, the main characters for you to have in your mind as you're reading and engaging Ezra and Nehemiah. But to help you out the outline, to kind of help form it as you're diving in, first, here's the outline of Ezra. Very simple. Chapters 1 to 6 is the national reform under Zerubbabel, the governor. Um, Go into that a little bit. What is a national reform, at least briefly? It was mean all groups, the all group of people, the whole Israel nation coming together and having been reformed, saying, hey, we're not doing these customs. We're not celebrating the Passover. We're not doing these feasts. And they were doing them now. They were saying, you know what? We need to stop. We need to cast these idols away. And we actually need to start worshiping God. We need to start doing the things that we were told to do before. Exactly. Doing the things that they were supposed to do before already. Cool. And then in chapter 7 to 10 of Ezra, there's the spiritual reform. And that's where the Passover comes in. The Feast of Unleavened bread that, the bread that they hadn't celebrated for quite some time. And that's when Ezra comes in because he's the priest. Zerubbabel can't do that. He's just he's just the governor. He was supposed to be the king, but here's the governor. But then you have Ezra, who is the priest. And then for Nehemiah, simple outline, two-point outline. Chapter 1 to 6, it's repairing the walls. It's the preparation that they had from you know Nehemiah's prayer, which is a great prayer. You should bookmark that for you know to read that later. The you know, cooperation of the people to kind of work together, but also the opposition that they faced rebuilding the walls. And then chapter seven to thirteen is the, you know the reviving of the people. Now, first, they took a census, marked everyone's names down. You know, but there's a dedication of the wall, and also again more reforms to say, hey, we were once living in sin. Actually, hey, we're living in some more sin. We need to change our ways. We need to reform our actions to actually conform to what God has commanded us. And some key texts for you to maybe uh, you know highlight when you uh, approach them in Ezra is Ezra chapter nine verses eight through nine. It is Ezra appealing to the people who they start to intermarry with foreigners again, just like their ancestors did. And he's like, "Hey guys, slow down. We need to remember the mercy of God." And mm-hmm. he quotes, um, actually, that's a later quote. Sorry, but he says, "Hey, we need to make sure we remember God's mercy by bringing us out of Babylon." And then Nehemiah, Nehemiah 1, verses 8 through 9 is a good verse to kind of highlight as kind of a helpful text. You know, Nehemiah quotes Deuteronomy 20, verses 2 through 4 to Cyrus saying, hey, we were kicked out of, uh, kicked out of Israel because of our sin, but we're returning because we repented. And so, everyone, we need to make sure we stay repentant so we continue to follow God. So, in general... The key teaching of Ezra is proper worship of God. And in Nehemiah is you know, willing people to work. You say, hey, I want to w- be willing to follow God in his direction. And in all this, even, even though it's in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. And something that we look forward to as Christians is that Jesus, the temple that Ezra built, was nothing compared to Solomon's. It was actually when they built it, they, they actually weeped because mm-hmm. it was nothing like it. 
You know, it wasn't nothing like the temple to promise that was promised by Ezekiel, but Jesus in, in the millennial kingdom, that temple will be rebuilt in the millennial kingdom. And there's going to be a new Jerusalem. There's no more walls to be rebuilt because the new Jerusalem is going to be coming and God is going to reign there. And that's something as we as Christians look forward to. So that's why we need to be spurred on to make sure we're reaching people for Christ. We're evangelizing to the lost. We're making disciples and looking forward to the eternal future that we have with God. All right, Pastor Hayden, we have several announcements. One of them we already gave away. So how about you share that announcement that we have with the Compass Bookstore? Yeah, we have our bookstore open every Sunday now, before and after services. We have uh, books for sale right now. We're starting with Bibles, but by the time you get here next week, we're going to have some selected resources that we think would be a really great add uh, to your library or to your stack of books. And so we want to look forward to next week and the weeks after this uh, come on up find some really good books then and, and purchase some of them and let's start uh, giving you some good resources so we're super excited to announce the bookstore it's so great i think when churches take time to you know select volumes to give out and, and allow their churches to purchase throughout uh, throughout the week all right pastor hayden your wife is leading another woman's breakfast on june 25th please share more about that june 25th i want you if you're a gal to join other compass women on saturday at 10 a.m on the 25th of june at compass bible church for a time of fellowship breakfast and worship and then my wife's going to be teaching on the dangers of our words from james 3 don't just come by yourself invite some gals to be with you well, Pastor Hayden, uh, you know, June 19th, we'll be on the stage together, but in a way that people will not be, you'll be surprised at. Why, why are we going to be on the stage together on June 19th? We're going to be on the stage together because you are dedicating Theodore. Man, that's exciting. I am excited. That's right. And so, hey, if you are uh, needing to or desiring to, or you have never dedicated your children uh, in front of the church, we would love to invite you on the 19th at the 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service to come bring your kids before our church and commit to raising your children for Christ. And we as a church will come alongside you, pray for you, and partner with you as you're raising your children under the teaching of Christ. You can register online at compasshillcountry.org. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Pastor Evan, you have something to add? Oh, don't forget the camps. Oh, you don't go. Oh, do the camps. Oh, here we go. Y'all, it's time for (laughs) Next Generation Camps. So we have our summer kids camps coming up. We have science camp coming up on June 21st is just right around the corner. We have art camp on June 28th. And then we have the big kahuna itself. The big one. The VBS light camp, Camp Compass. And that is on July 12th. And this is for all incoming first to fifth graders. Signups are growing, but we want more kids to know Jesus. So make sure that you have signed up your incoming first to fifth graders, that you're inviting your friends, your families. We have flyers for you to grab. So next Sunday, grab some and pass those out to people so we can have kids hear about the gospel. And then finally, we have the summer camp revival for the students Incoming 6th graders to 12th graders, we'll be taking them to Carolina Creek, and we'll be teaching them about Logos, the God, about God's Word, and, and taking God at His Word. So that's July 20th to 23rd, but you need to register soon, because cutoff for that is going to be the first or second week of July, because we need to send those final numbers to Carolina Creek. So make sure you sign up your students. You can pay the deposit now, 
pay the rest later, but we want to make sure that these next generations, the kids and students, hear and respond to the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you guys for joining us on this week's episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. We look forward to seeing you guys soon. Get out there and reach, teach, and train. Thank you.